Welcome, friends, to Game Master's Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry. Hello, and welcome to Episode 5 of Game Master Studios. We're going to be talking about tips and tricks for tabletop role-playing games, what you can do to help bring your game up to the next level. And today we're going to be talking about character creation. Uh, it's an important topic that we wanted to hit early on, but pretty much everything we've done so far has fallen under that same category. So today in the studio, of course, we have me. I'm Frieden, a.k.a. Jerry. I'm a DM with nearly three decades of experience. I'll be working as host and moderator. We have Jared, proprietor of Mad Doc Designs, uh, creator of the world of Wrath and semi-professional DM, goes online by the handle of DMF. And we have Ed. I love it when a plan comes together. All right, so we're going to be talking character creation today. We're still working on getting up to getting that first session going. And this is something that needs to be covered before you start, because everybody needs to know what they're playing. And we're actually going to start by talking a little bit about the different options for creating characters. We got three options in front of us. Uh, pre-generated characters handed out by the Dungeon Master. Mm -hmm. uh, each of the players pre-building their characters and bringing them to the first session. And, of course, taking a chunk out of the first session to make characters together. So those are our three options. We're starting with pre-generated characters. Um, this is where the DM makes the characters, puts them together, players show up, here's the character, here's what you're playing. So we're going to discuss pros and cons of that. No, uh, no, pre-generated characters, I'm actually for them um, more than I'm against them. And uh, I think for if you have a lot of new players, having pre-generated characters is a really good idea because instead of really explaining how everything uh, or how to build the character, you can start off with showing them how the character works. Yeah. And then later you can get into the building process of that. Right. This is also uh, very useful because they don't have to understand the mechanics. Um, I like to say that when you're making a character, there's no right or wrong decisions above and beyond getting hung up on what's right or wrong. Uh, but the fact of the matter is there are certain cases where an inexperienced player could make a choice that winds up you know, biting them a little further down the road. Yeah, that's true. I also like pre-generated characters. If you have, say, kind of a, you know, maybe a four or five session story arc, that's really just kind of a throwaway. You know, it's, I don't really mean to say throwaway, a one-off. Where you kind of have this right. idea and you have like a very specific thing in mind and you want to make sure that the characters can achieve it, but you also want to make it a challenge and maybe even make them specialized towards what it is that you're setting up. Um, one of my old groups, we used to do a lot of one-offs. We had a huge shelf of games. So somebody would look at a game that interests them, learn how to play it, and they would run a one-shot just for an mm -hmm. afternoon. And if we didn't finish the story, then we often didn't come back to them. But it was a great way to introduce, to learn some new systems, get to play some stuff we wouldn't otherwise play. And just, you jump in, here's your character, let me explain a quick how the system works, we're going to get off and running without everybody having to play and read through the book. And Makes things so smoother, but it kind of, it does, it will take away from customization, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. One of the things that I think is very important when you're doing pre-generated characters is you want to talk to your players ahead of time. 
Do you want to play the muscle for the group? Do you want to play the mouth? Do you want to play the smart guy? Even though you are making it for them, they should still have some input so that you can give people their their strengths, something that plays to what they want to play. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that's going to be you're going to want to build. I mean, if you're prefabbing characters, then you're going to typically have a, a well-balanced party built anyway. So you can kind of choose that on the spot. Like, all right, who wants to play the fighter? Who wants to play the rogue? Who wants to play this? Who wants to play that? And you guys can all, they can all pick and choose from your selection of prefab characters. I personally think that if you're going to do prefab characters, you want to usually make one or two extras. So there might be a little bit of variety there. Yeah, I mean, that's just my personal opinion. You know, that you could have two different versions of a rogue or an extra, you know, two versions of a fighter, maybe like a diviner mage, you know, and an evoker mage, you know, just a little bit of extra wiggle room there. So like, well, I, you know, I don't mind playing the wizard, but I really don't want to be a diviner. Okay, well, here's the evoker. Here you go. You can fireball your way through this dungeon and have a nice mm -hmm. day. <laughs> I was going to say, my uh, personal opinion for prefab characters, I'm not a huge fan of them. I think they definitely have their place. I think the three places that they are, the, the two places that you both covered, new players, definitely a huge advantage. They don't have to get bogged down in the details of how to make it, just how to play it. Uh, prefab um, for one-offs is another good place. I also think it's a good opportunity, as long as your group's open to it. Like you said, uh, Jerry, check with your players first. But as a, like a learning experience or like a yeah. test... To get people to try something outside of their comfort zone, as a like you know, to to break the bubble, so to speak. Like, okay, right. you have a guy that's always playing a fighter, but you know that he's a smart guy. You just know that he and he likes to smash things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But he always plays the fighter, and you'd like to see him maybe like expand his horizons a little bit. Right. You can kind of do like a little bit of a lab test, usually just in a one-off. You don't want to lock him into it for a long-term commitment if it's something that he's not going to enjoy. But you know what? You're a really smart guy. You're really clever. Why don't you try this rogue that I built for you? It's right. a test drive. Yeah, exactly. And that's I think one-offs are great for that, personally. Mm -hmm. I actually came up with another point that I think it could be good for, is if you have a player who has an idea but doesn't know how to make it work, in general, the GM at the table is the most knowledgeable in the system. And so they can put something together and have that work have that work really well for them. Um, I had an instance where we were playing a, a villains-type game, and I got input from the players as to what they wanted to play so that I could assemble that for them in a system they were familiar with the basics of how to play because it worked within the world of darkness, but not necessarily on the character creation. Mm -hmm. Which also led to a wonderful and unique character, because I was talking to one of my friends while he was watching one of the Aliens movies, and he's like, can I do something like that? <laughs> and we wound up having an alien xenomorph-type character mixed in. <laughs> nice. Inspiration comes from wherever you find it. Yeah, I ran a game, uh, a superhero game, and all the players were experiments uh, in a base. And, you know, they basically just kept going through the base and... Uh, and whatnot, and there was a lot of you know different fights and new things that they found out. But all the characters had something unique to them, um, and I'd also kind of pre-programmed into the game areas where certain characters might die. For instance, there was one who was a uh, had growth, so they could grow up to be giant, but they did so in a room surrounded by like, powerful lasers. So the lasers just kept firing at them. So the character was gone. That that character that was going to be their moment where they're they're gone. Which was great, because I had about four players, and I had six pre-generated characters built up. So once that character was gone, I said to the player, okay, which other one would you like to play? And it, it worked pretty smooth. But And that, that's actually a really good way to get somebody back into the game, because you don't want people sitting around bored. That's probably the last thing you want as a game master. Moving along, 
Uh, we also, the next option we have is the pre-built characters. This is where you explain kind of the premise of your story and the players let you know what they want to do. They go, they make their characters and they bring them to the first session. You review them and then you're off and running. You know, nothing is better or worse than any other necessarily. Um, this has some different pros, some different cons behind it. Yeah, I would say this is probably the most common type of character preparation just because every player uses their own free time when they have it. It's no extra strain on the DM or GM. Every player should be using their free time right. when they have it. Right, not everyone does it. Yeah. But typically, you know, it's not any extra strain on the GM making a whole bunch of extra, you know, uh, one-off PCs or whatever. You know, no prefabs. And it's not killing, it's not taking away from potential game time of doing a character creation session. This is not my favorite type, but it's definitely the most common type. I do yeah. prefer the next one of character creation sessions. Well, this, that's actually kind of, kind of interesting, too, for you to say that that's not your favorite. Because um, we'd, we'd spoken earlier, and you were all about the character backgrounds. Right. And I think that's one of the big strengths of having the players go build their own characters, is that they can write their backgrounds. They can take that time and use that... Uh, they can use that free time that they have to make the characters to flesh out the backgrounds and really help cement the characters in their mind, especially for those actor types, mm -hmm. yeah. so that when they come to the first session, they're like, I know not only what I'm playing, but I know who I'm playing. Yeah, oh, definitely a huge advantage. Um, again, I mean, we're going to be touching on this you know, next, but the, the character creation session, how I'll typically do it is the whole session is just character creation, not just the first part of it. Then you go home and you've got, you know, we've have our party built and you work on your background between that, you know, that character creation session and the first official session. Then you have that background to hand to me, preferably earlier, the sooner the better, because the more time I have to work with it, the more than I can do with it. But I think there's another uh, advantage in the pre-built characters in that you'll have players getting excited themselves rather than the, the GM having to hype the game. They'll start putting this together and looking at it like, oh, yeah, my numbers look really good. I can do some really cool stuff. I'm really excited. I'm really looking forward to playing this. I'd, I'd say another real benefit of the pre-built pre characters really is you can tell your players, okay, we're going to be running this game. Here's some basic backstory. Make your characters. And then that first session, assuming everyone does it, that first session, you can just go. Like there's no... Right. Exactly. There's, you know, maybe there's going to be 30 minutes or half an hour of trying to figure out everything and how every player kind of is in the world. But beyond that, it's just go. Yeah, like I said, it's time efficient. It's game efficient. But, I mean, I will say there's certainly some cons to it. First, you got to trust your players, you know. I mean... Yeah, because you're not witnessing roles. When, when, you have, uh, when you have, you know, players who really like the numbers... You know they're going to be focused on that, mm -hmm. and you know a lot of players really like having high stats. So, one of my one of my GMs that I had, one of his favorite sayings that I've co-opted was, "If I want you dead, it doesn't matter what your stats are." Yeah, no, that's always true. But you you do you do I don't know you do kind of uh, how you give some trust to the player with that, which is fine. You know, assuming you have experienced players that you trust, there's nothing wrong with it. And I know, I know, we are jumping ahead a little bit. But one of the last games that I put together, I wanted the first session to be a, um, a character creation session, or at least portion, because it was going to be a long game. But uh, I had like three or four people say, "Hey, can I build my character early?" Um, and you know, when your players getting excited about building a character, you don't want to say no. You don't want to say no. It's hard to say no. 
Um, although the there's, it's not all sunshine and roses. There are some downsides to that. Um, like you said, there's the possibility of players tweaking things in their favor because you're not witnessing. Um, you also have the possibility, at the most extreme, of having everybody show up with pretty much the same character. Yeah, that's um, a problem. Th- more realistically, the problem you're going to run into is you've got two characters built for the same purpose, for the same role, except one of them is just better than the other at everything. Yeah. Um, I've seen groups kind of come together where there's overlap in the skill sets and a character is rendered redundant and it's tough. You've got to find you got to find that character, you know, okay, what niche? And maybe even as far as going back to the drawing board, like let's make something else up for you because what you have is kind of covered already. Yeah. As a player, I remember there was a game that uh, I was I was playing in, and uh, I had... I wanted to play, for my next character, I wanted to play like a swashbuckler style, but then there was another player who also wanted to play a swashbuckler style, and then we had a rogue who was basically a swashbuckler style rogue. And all buckles in the land were swashed. They sure were. I mean, you know, we, we had different builds... You know that uh, to to make it work, but we were all basically this relatively same character trying to fill the same niche, you know. And it was uh, it was. I mean, we made it work, but then everyone else really had to focus on their own thing too. The same thing going on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think as a GM, it's kind of your responsibility if you're going to let the players make characters prior to a session to stay in close contact with everyone and keep very close tabs on what everyone's playing exactly. at any given time. Like I'm constantly checking in daily with my players. Like, do you know what you want to play yet? Do you know what you want to play yet? Do you know what you want to play? Okay. So-and-so's thinking, you know, like so-and-so's planning on playing a fighter. You can play whatever you want, but just so you know what's already going on out there. Right. So-and-so's playing a fighter. Okay. We have a fighter and a cleric. Okay. We have a fighter, a cleric and a rogue. Do you know what you want to play? Again, there's it's a, overlap is okay. I'll make sure the gaps are filled. That's just how I handle things. But just so you know what's going on out there, you know I just kind of I stay in very close contact with all my players. Or like I said, almost on a daily basis, just checking in. Do you know what you want to play yet? As soon as people they're like, yes, I want to play this. I pass it along to the other people. In my opinion, again, I'm okay with overlap, but also if you're the one that's like, well, I don't know what I want to play. I don't know what I want to play. I want to play. Well, you're having trouble making up your mind. Your mind's slowly being made up for you as everyone else is picking up all these other roles. Like, okay, right. we got a fighter, a rogue, a wizard, and a cleric. What do you want to play? Uh, well, what do we not have yet? Well, you could do this, that, or the other thing. Right. Okay. Had you picked first, you could have picked anything. Right. <laughs> and this is all coming back to... I'm noticing it's kind of like we have the two pillars of good GMing that we've really come down to are communication and trust. Yeah, absolutely. And both interacting with your players. Um, I agree. So get them all around the table, get them talking, and get them building characters. Um that's the third option. Everybody sits down. Nobody's made a character ahead of time. You spend either the first session or a chunk of the first session making yeah. characters around the table. Yeah. Um, Jared, you said that this was your preferred method, so why don't you uh, lead us off? Yeah, it's absolutely my favorite method. I don't do it as often as I would like or as often as I probably should, in my own personal opinion. Um, I definitely think it's the best, again, my opinion, but the reason for that is... You get to have everyone choose on the spot, so you can have a well-balanced party that's decided there. It's a unanimous decision. It's democratic. 
I want to play a fighter. Okay, you want to play a fighter? Okay, well, I'm willing to play a rogue if you want to play the fighter. Okay, well, if you're going to be the fighter and you're going to be the rogue, I'm willing to be the wizard. Or are you, will you do, would you be able to play be, um, be, being the healer? Okay, sure, fine. And then you all come to that decision together as a group. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you what everyone else is picking, so you're stuck with this. You're deciding democratically as a group, unanimously, who everyone's picking. And also it gives everyone a chance to, okay, I'm starting to have my character develop in my head. Okay, I got a fighter. I rolled out my stats, or I got my stats, however, whatever the situation is. I'm starting to build them, and again, I usually do really long character, character creation sessions. I might do longer than my average sessions. Say my average session's four hours, I might do a five or six hour character creation session, depending on how the day goes. Obviously, you might not need that much time. But players get a chance to start kind of coming up with backgrounds while they're working on their characters, and it yeah. gives them a perfect opportunity to intertwine backgrounds. That's part of my. That's actually my favorite part of it. Yeah. So, oh, you're a fighter. I'm a cleric, you're human, I'm human, you're 6'1", I'm 6'1". Dude, why don't we be twins? Or why don't we be brothers from the same yeah. town? Hey, let's be from this place together. Hey, okay, yeah, what, what's your alignment? What's your, okay, yeah, you just start working things out and you might notice coincidences or you might be like, oh, hey, instead of us being friends, you screwed me over on a deal way back in the day yeah. and I don't hate you, but we have a little bit of a rivalry just for some interesting car- yeah. you know, um, party dynamics. Maybe you're playing the rogue and uh, you and the paladin came from the same town and he, he, he'd you know, catch you filching some people from time to time. So you get right. a night in lockup because of him. So while not everyone at the table has to do that and it's or not her. required, yeah, while every person at the table, you know, at the, um, is that they don't have to do this. Not everyone has to have an intertwined background, but it gives that opportunity for characters to already know each other before even rolling any dice at the first session. Yeah. You know, so it gives some history. It adds their background. And intertwining backgrounds helps your party stay together. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I'm going to stay with this guy because he's some guy I met in the inn, or I'm going to stay with this guy because we were neighbors growing up and buddies, and now he's in trouble and needs my help. Right, yeah, you're not building camaraderie during your first few sessions. That's already there. You get to function as a group. You can even have already like established, like if you're brothers or friends that have known each other their whole life, you could already have combos or tactics for combat that you might already know. Like, okay, well, I'm only a low-level wizard, and but you're a low-level cleric. We grew up together. We've been buddies our whole life, so we know how each other works. You know, okay, we're going to do a button hook flank on three, ready, go, boom, and he runs over here, I run over there, he does this spell, I do this spell, boom, Bob's your uncle, we won, everyone else is looking at them like, holy crap. Yeah, and if you want, that's what a well oiled machine looks like. And if you want a great <laughs> example of that, the Dragonlance Chronicles by. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, the first book, not chronologically historical, but the first book that was released, starts with all of the characters coming back together after five years apart. And pretty quickly, things start to go bad. And you get to watch these people who have had years of experience together as you as the reader are being introduced to them, working as part of a well-oiled machine. And it gives you, yeah, this is a team. This isn't a... This isn't a group of individuals that are coming together because of golden money. This is a team. And that was after five years apart because they were coming together after five years. But they're still such, they grew up together and they were such a wild oil machine that even after five years of separation, they come together and they were just boom, just working in synchronicity with each other. Being able to play a character who has a connected backstory to somebody at the table is definitely a unique experience. Uh, Actually having a unique enough experience where I once played one of a set of twins that was a very challenging, but very rewarding. It was a ton of fun. Um, I'd love to do it again at some point as a more ongoing thing. But 
getting people together when they're making their characters helps make those connections happen. Yeah, and I think if you're going to run a character building session, as a GM, you definitely have to be ready to be hands-on. You're going to have a lot of people asking questions. You're going to have a lot of people you know, who need the books, and you might not have them all. You're going to have a lot of people uh, who are trying to figure out, you know, what's the history of the world? How can our characters be, you know, intertwined, that sort of thing? And, you know, I don't want to scare any GMs because that's all this is all a great process when you do that and it really comes together. But just, you know, if that's what you're going for, if that's what you're trying to do, just get yourself ready, be prepared. That's what the day is going to bring you. In many ways, the character creation session is the most resource intensive because Mm -hmm. you're going to need to have probably multiple copies of the books because if you have just one passing around, it's going to drag on. Um, you yeah. want, you probably want to have other players who are familiar with the system. So that if you have players who aren't as familiar, you, the GM isn't answering every single question. Right. If you're doing this, definitely have your players that are familiar with the system help other people build their characters. Which is yet another advantage of the character creation setup. Exactly. Instead of, oh, I have some new players, so I have to make sure and set some time aside to help them build their character or to call a favor into an experienced player to help them build their character right. prior to the game. All the resources that are could possibly be available are there for that new player. That's right. and, and I've seen character creation sessions with assigned assistants. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're new, so Jerry, can you help them build the character? I will help this person build the character. Ed, can you help that person build their character? Right. And so that way, you know, we're teaming off and working with, you know, stronger players. Mechanic and rules, knowledge-wise, stronger players working with people who are a little bit fresher, a little bit newer. Or maybe just don't have copies of the books of their own to read. Right. Yeah, you're, as the GM, you're pretty much your role of the day is going to be like the Q&A teacher. Like, you, I, I've given you all your assignment. If you have any questions, come ask me. And you just sit there and answer questions for the first half of the day. Typically, towards the end, as they're starting to work on their background and stuff, that's going to be a lot of, like, interactive character or just personal time to when they're working on their background. That might be your opportunity to just kind of sit back, relax, and make notes about the day, though. Especially if you hear characters discussing intertwined backgrounds. You'd be like, just sitting in the back. Okay, so Jerry's planning on being a twin brother with Ed. All right, sweet. He's this, he's that. And you can start kind of making some plots and some twists for your adventure. Maybe it's not going to be in the first session right off the bat. But the the more background they have, the quicker you can introduce that kind of interjected storyline. Yeah, and... Moving through, you can also, later in the day is when the DM is going to be answering more questions about the world itself. Mm-hmm. Early on, you're going to be asking, what's the bonus for this race? Or what's the damage on this weapon? You know, a lot of these fact bases. But later on, you're going to be... What can my elf do? Everything. As long as Tolkien's writing them. It's true. Uh, but later on, you're going to be answering questions like, is this a democracy or a monarchy? How do they feel about slavery? Is there a negative view towards magic casters? Is there some sort of guild I can join? Um, so later on, as they start getting into more of those less numerical values, you're going to start having to deal with those questions. Yeah. So you need to be ready and prepared for those to come up. And I would, I would also state that as a GM... This isn't something that you would want to do for like a one-off session, no. or, or or for like just you know I'm gonna no, no. I'm gonna build some sessions you know it's gonna last you know maybe five six five six sessions 
you know, let them let them pre, you know, make pre gens or let them pre build their characters, whatever on that. This is for like a grand campaign, and you're going to want that information, the history, the maps, all that stuff. This is one of the the downsides of of doing the character creation session is your first session is gone. Your first session, all you're doing is making characters. Yeah. You may have you may be able to get some time in, but at best you're getting a half session going. So you just need to be aware of that. If you're looking to have something that's only going to run two or three sessions, adding a character creation session is going to increase the time that it runs by fifty percent, thirty three percent, whatever. Exactly. And unfortunately, adding in dead sessions is going to bore your players. Mm-hmm. Um, those those short one offs or or short contained story arcs. Are best done quick, snappy, get to it, get through, get out. Yeah. Um, so speaking a little bit about character creation, um, we have the different options for character creation, um, whether it is a randomized set for determining stats or mm-hmm. a point-by system or perhaps even an array where you're given these are the scores that you use. Um they have different advantages, different disadvantages, and I used to be a pure pure roller. Like, I want to roll. You know, just everybody rolls. We always roll. That's the way it's been done because that's when I started with, you know, original d d It yeah. was roll your stats in order. Oh, you want to be a wizard? Too bad you roll a five on your intelligence. <laughs> um, yeah, as a player, that's a really fun way to do it because you never know what you're going to roll. You might get some good stats. But I think... The more experience I've had as a GM, the more I like point by or array. Yeah, I've recently started experimenting with some of those others. Yeah. Um, simply for the fact that the random can be really cool. It can be really fun, but you can also screw somebody over unintentionally. Yeah. Um, we'll be talking on a later episode about how low ability scores can help define a player as much as high ability scores can. Yeah. Um, but you are still going to have those players who get a low ability score and they feel cheated. They feel, true. They feel like, well, Timmy over there, his lowest score is a 15, where my best score is a 16. You know, why did he get such good abilities and I didn't? Yeah. Yeah, well, you're the GM. You have the ability to control that, sir. You can allow rerolls. Yeah, you can allow re-rolls. You can even say, you know, take your lowest stat and make it an 18, you know, mm-hmm. depending on the role that the player had. Yeah. I mean, you know, like if, if they're 9 to 13 across the board or the 116 and you're looking, you know, across the table, someone has, you know, two 16s, two 18s, you know, a 14 and a 12, then you might say, okay, well, the guy who rolled lower, make one of those low rolls an 18. Yeah, you I mean, know. it's all your discretion. I mean, that's what you're there for. I mean, it's up to you if you want to you know, make everything fair. It's up to you if you want to be like, you know what? This is going to be a good learning experience for you. Deal with yeah. that five because you're usually the guy with 15, you know, 18 stats. <laughs> and a lot of it, I'd say, would have to would have to be based around uh, what kind of game do you want to run? I mean, if you know going into the game that what you have, you're going to throw a lot at the characters and they need to be powerful or you want them to be powerful – you know, let them roll those stats. Let them get those high stats. If you want them to be relatively weak, uh, I was I I was I didn't run this. I was in a game once where it was d20 based, and the stat was roll a d6, add it to six. That's your stat. And you, wow. you had relatively weak characters. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and that's that was the whole idea. But the whole idea was it was supposed to be like a horror theme. For- the just in case, survive. just in case anybody is doesn't know the d20 system. 
starting scores typically run 3 to 18, with your average being 10 to 11. Right. A D6 plus 6 means you're going to be running 7 to 12. Yeah. So at best, you're a little above average. Yeah, I mean, they did make some allowances for feats. You know, there's some prerequisites that you need. But the idea is you're a level one character, you're not that great, and you're going to be running, you know, through a meat grinder, essentially. Yeah, great for horror games, because, you know, in a horror game, you want to be very mortal, you want to be vulnerable, you want to be weak. The more vulnerable you feel as a player, the more they can intensify the the threat and the scare level. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing is, also, I personally like the heroes to overcome adversity. Like, that's when you really feel heroic is when you've overcome adversity. And exactly. if you're walking around with a bunch of stats that are between 7 and right. 12, and you feel really weak, and you're like, oh, man, my best stat's 11 the way I rolled, but I still I still won. I still, I'm Frodo. Right. <laughs> yeah. Die, Die Hard would not have been as interesting a movie if instead of John McClane. Man, right. Um, you know, you need. I don't know. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, originally I was going to go Superman, but um, but yeah, actually the Batman probably would be really cool. But what I'm saying is, just having an average Joe who isn't prepared in the wrong place makes that for a more interesting, compelling story. If your characters got low stats, if they're not great, it's a character. How many have you had? Right. One that's a little below average isn't going to make a difference. Yeah. And besides, character mortality happens for a reason. You know. In a lot of the D20 systems, a lot of the way the game builders design it is actually based sort of around arrays. The idea is you're going to have, you know, one or two good stats and then some average stats and some not so good stats. Uh, With the idea being that each character is probably going to be specialized. When you roll, you have the chance of either getting a lot of good stats or a lot of bad stats, which will really change that. My players, of course, always seem to roll really well. They always do. Don't they? Especially uh, when you're not looking. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, it's not really meant... When you're trying to get a good challenge, it's not really meant for you to go around having three or four 18s, you know, 18s or 16s. You know, that kind of can unbalance the game. And that's one of the reasons I like the array. And there's always the, the equality, just so somebody doesn't say, you know, J- Jimmy's got better scores than I do. Yeah. And there are some people whose fun gets ruined by that and helps level the playing field. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's all about fun at the end of the day. So whatever fits your group and you as, you know, the GM to have the most fun is really what you want to go with. All right. Well, that's what it's about at the end of the day. And that's what it's about at about the end of the session. Um, So we're going to wrap it up here. We're going to be headed out. We'll be back next week with more information. Uh, Until then, definitely feel free to visit us on our message board, GameMasterStudio.ProBoards.com. Do it. Check us out on Twitter at GMS Studios. Do it. You can find us on Facebook. And uh, don't forget to check out DMF, Jared's Kickstarter project. It's going well, but we still need some help. So we're going to plug that again. We'll see you next time we're in the studio. Have a good night. Peace. Bye.